Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, all of this is a backdrop, and the reason I'm kind of going through this, I'm not, you know, not just trying to you know, dig up the mud again in this whole history, but it's just to show how amazing verse 22 is, because what verse 22 is saying is that they're united now. They're reconciled. I mean, there's so much loaded in those words when it says Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, because these now were days, years of reconciliation. And, you know, and when we read something like this, it speaks to our hearts because it shows us how terrible it is to come to our last days and be at odds with anyone. And that's why the Lord said, don't do that. The Lord said in Matthew 5.23, Matthew 5.23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So it's interesting how the Lord put that. He didn't say, if you come and you make an offering, and remember that you have something against some, someone else, then go make it right. But he knew, because he knew, you know, the way we, the way we work is that if, if we're asked, you know, the Lord says, you know, do you have anything against anybody else? No, not me. I don't have anything against anybody else. I'm, I'm fine. But so the Lord said, I'm not asking you if you have anything against anybody else, what I'm asking you is if anybody else has something against you, you know, and if you don't think that's right, then go ask them. And the Lord said, that's the ones you need to reconcile with. And, and so this is what makes verse 22 so beautiful. Joseph could have said, well, I don't have anything against my brothers, but maybe Joseph's brothers still envied him and still hated him and still held, held something against him. So verse 22 shows how Joseph just cleared it all, and he reconciled and his brothers, and they were living together in peace. And this is amazing. So it's beautiful to not just be in a state where you can say, I don't have anything against anybody else, but in a state where you can say, nobody has anything against me. It takes work. It takes work. It's not easy. It's the work that Paul was talking about when he was on trial before the Roman governor And Paul was explaining about his life and what he really worked at. And he said in Acts 24, 16, Acts 24, 16, told the governor, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He said that. And that was was hard work, to always make sure that, you know, and that's how we should see sin, Sin is not just, oh, I was told not to do it. I did it. Oh, what am I going to do? No. Sin is an offense to God. 
It's, it's, it's very offensive to God. So Paul, in describing that he was trying to, he wants to keep himself out of sin, he says, I'm trying to have a conscious void of offense, uh, to God. And then he says, that's not the only thing I work on consistently and all the time in my life. I also work to have a void, conscious void of offense to man, which means I, I don't want other people to be offended at me. Now, there's something he couldn't help offensive, but it didn't have to do with him. And that's what's called, what he called in Galatians 5.11. Galatians 5.11, I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So there is an offense of the cross, and we can't do anything about that. There's an offense of the gospel. There's offense of the cross. The Jewish people are offended at me because of the cross, because of the gospel. I hope that's the only reason they're offended at me. I don't know. Maybe probably say a lot of things are offended at me, but I don't know. But anyway, and I can't do anything about that. Now, we're told, we're told now in verse 22, in verse 22, that he was reconciled. And then it says, Joseph lived 110 years old. Now, maybe that seems like a long life to you, <laughs> 110 years old. Maybe you say to yourself, I don't want to live to 110 years old. <laughs> but anyway, and that's more maybe you'd say, oh, that'd be nice, you know, I'll make it to 110. I'll be sitting on that porch there just rocking away, you know, to really not be 110. Well, all of a sudden, someone's going to come and say, happy birthday, you're 110 years old. I am? Oh, okay. But it seems like a long time, 110 years old. But really, when you consider the lifetime of his family, okay, it goes like this. Abraham lived, you know how long Abraham lived? 175. You know how long Isaac lived? 180. You want to know how long Jacob lived? If you want to know anything, ask him. <laughs> okay. 147. All right. So there you got the, the family uh, longevity. You live a long time, and you got the genes that make you live a long time if you're in this family, right? 175, 180, 147, and Joseph only lives to 110. So... Oh, you know, and he dies relatively young. <laughs> How old was King David when he died, Clint? 70. He was 70 years old. Just 70 years old. So good men don't always die old. In fact, maybe you say bad people die old because God's given them a long chance, you know, to turn around anyway. But sometimes it's the mercy of God to remove his child from earth. And God explained this in Isaiah 57.1. In Isaiah 57.1, God said, The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart, and merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. And this was the message that God sent to King Josiah. The king of Judah, he was one of the best kings. There was really good king, turned the people back to God. But God was still going to bring a judgment. Uh, uh, so, and so, so God sent a message to King Josiah in 2 Kings 22.18, 2 Kings 22.18, where God says, But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, 
and has rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord, behold, therefore I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And so God told King Josiah there that he's going to bring him home early. He's going to bring him home early because God knows that terrible times are coming, and God says, I just, I don't want King Josiah to see that. It's just going to really be bad for him. So, so he's going to take him home early. And he was a young man when he died. Clint, do you know how old Josiah was when he died? 39. 39. He doesn't always get it right. <laughs> Close enough. He was 39. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was 37. He was in his 30s. He was one of the best kings ever. And, you know, Robert Murray McShane, he wrote, all, he was a pastor, and he made the Bible reading plan that many of us, like me, use all the time, still widely used. You go through the Bible in a year, you go through the New Testament three times, you go through Psalms three times. It's really, he made a, a very rough, very hard for him, but he made a trip to Palestine, wrote a book on the land of Israel. He was a lover of the Jewish people. He was one of the few that believed that God was going to fulfill his promises to the Jewish people and restore them by bringing them to, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was one thing very peculiar about Robert Murray McShane, and he wrote a hymn which kind of expresses that, and the hymn is called, When This Passing World Is Done. And he was always conscious that he had to get work done that God had called him to before he died. And so that's the driving thought behind this hymn that he wrote, When This Passing World Is Done. And he had a watch that he wore, and he had painted on the background behind the hands, it was a picture of a sun setting, a sunset. And he said he always liked that because whenever he would look at the time, he wanted to see the sun setting on his watch just to be reminded that time's running out and the sun's going to set. Well, he got typhoid, typhoid fever. He got typhus, and he died very quickly at the age of 29. That's all he was, 29 years old. And his works are still read. They're still appreciated today. Great works. Andrew Barnard wrote a, wrote a whole book about the life of, of Robert Murray McShane. But he died when he was 29 years old. But he did so much in it before, before he died. It reminds me of my Ethiopian friend, Temeskin. I told you about him. And he was, he was 12 years old. He was in a, the, a poor village, lived in a mud hut, when he got a huge growth on his leg. I always get confused. I think it was his right leg. Right, left, and I wonder if it's one of those two. Anyway, very deadly cancer. It reminds me when I was at Grossmont Hospital, and we had a um, quality meeting, and someone was operated on the wrong side. Okay, And so I asked the, the chief of staff, I said, he was a great guy, he was a Jewish guy. I said, how can you operate on the wrong side? <laughs> and he said, Right, left, right, left. It's confusing. <laughs> it has nothing to do with this, I'm sorry. But um, I can't remember if it was his right leg or his left leg that got cut off, but one of them did. He had osteosarcoma, Temeskin. And so Temeskin, he came to live in the Mother Teresa Hospital in, in Addis Ababa. I, I remember the first time when I went into that hospital and the nuns opened the door there, very nice nuns, and and it says there a big sign says for the sick and dying. Now that's a pretty depressing thing to see. 
when you walk into a hospital is to say, you know, if, if Grossmont Hospital had a sign out in front that says, for the sick and dying, I, I think I'd go to a different hospital. <laughs> but that's what it says there, for the sick and dying. A lot of, anyway, but there's a lot of cancer, a lot of cancer. And they didn't have, when I was there, I, I suppose the same way, they didn't have any chemo available for the cancer patients. So it really was a place for the sick and dying, you know, and to be comforted. Well, Temeskin's doctor, of all people, was an Orthodox Jewish doctor named Rick Hodes. And uh, Rick and I got to know each other. And so Rick decided to really try to help Temeskin with a few other boys that was there. So he invited Temeskin to come and live in his home, in his living room, as a matter of fact, with a dozen other boys with cancer. And that's how Rick ran his life. He was an Orthodox Jewish man that has... 12 Ethiopian boys living in his living room there that have cancer. Rick uh, managed to get some chemo, and he, and he brought it in the country, and he would give uh, uh, the kids chemo in his living room. And so there's Temeskin on Rick's couch, and he's lying there, and he's receiving chemo. And some of the chemo is intravenous, and some of it's by pills, and 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 Rick would say, you know, Temeskin would throw up, and he would Rick would come back and look in the soiled pan and try to see if the pills are in there, give it to him again. I mean, that that was Rick's house. And Rick always had the Sabbath meals every Friday night, and all the kids wore head coverings like yarmulkes, you know, and and he would do this, but none of the kids wanted to become Jews, and and he would try. To, to he would teach them to sing Shalom Aleichem, you know, and then he would teach them, maybe that was a little bit too far, so then he would teach them, uh, if I had a hammer, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary's son, anyway. And Rick knew I was a Jewish believer. So one night when we went out, Rick and I went out to dinner, Rick looked, looked across the table, his hands folded and says, all right, so tell me your story about how you came to Jesus. And all I could think of was like, was like it was Rick that had cancer, and he just asked me, he just says, all right, go ahead and give me the chemo. And, and, and I know it's going to be painful, so let's get over with. Anyway, Chemeskin was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted the Lord, but Rick was not. And so Rick told me that one day Rick came to 12-year-old Chemeskin with his leg cut off, and, and, and obviously it was a very, very rough cancer, and really the odds were that the, the, the cancer was going to come back, which it did. And so, so Rick asked Temeskin, he said, he said, he said to this 12-year-old boy, he said, Temeskin, are you afraid to die? Great bedside manner, but that's what he did. You know, he said, Temeskin, are you afraid to die? By the way, this was not told me by Temeskin. This was told to me by Rick. And so Rick told me, he says, Temeskin answered and said, no, I'm not afraid to die because everyone's going to die. And, and Temeskin had seen his father die, had seen his brothers and sisters die, and the only one who was left who didn't die was his mother and his sister. So he says, no, I'm not afraid to die, because everyone's going to die. And it doesn't matter when you die. What matters is what you do before you die. Now, that, that impressed Rick so much that he told me that, that Temeskin's, and, and, and Temeskin's words apply to Robert Murray McShane, it didn't matter that Robert Murray McShane died when he was 29. It, 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 what mattered is what Robert Murray McShane did before he died. And Temeskin's words applied to Joseph. It didn't matter when Joseph died, even though he was relatively young. 
But what mattered is what Joseph accomplished before he died. And what Joseph did before he died is, is in verse 22. Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. So at the end of Joseph's life, Joseph accomplished the saving of the house of Israel. It was just a miracle that Israel was saved. It was a miracle that the family of Israel wasn't separated. It was a miracle that, that Judah, who had left home for good forever, to make his new life among the Canaanites with Canaanite wives and children. It was just a miracle that Judah was shamed to such an extent that it was driven back home after, unbeknownst to him, he had a baby with his daughter-in-law. It was a miracle that God allowed Joseph to accomplish what he did after the hatred of Joseph's brothers against him. I mean, and that they were all reconciled and back together again. It was a miracle that God allowed Joseph to, uh, to accomplish that after a horrible famine that threatened to kill off Joseph's family and that Joseph was able to, to save his family alive. It was a miracle that Joseph was allowed to accomplish what he did after what happened there when the famine threatened to kill off Egypt and Joseph was able to save Egypt alive. It was a miracle that God was, uh, uh, enabled Joseph to lead so many Egyptians to faith to eternal life by trusting in the true God. And when we get to heaven, I'm looking forward to, we're all going to look forward to, to meet those, some of those Egyptians who are, you know, we're going to say, tell me your story. And when they tell us our story, they're going to, they're, you're going to hear the word Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. And it was a miracle. So again, from the mouth of Temeskin, it doesn't matter when Joseph died. What mattered is what Joseph was able to accomplish before he died. And it's so easy for us in life just to get caught up with our health and trying to stay alive and to live a long life and it becomes the focus of our lives. We gotta eat healthy, we gotta exercise to stay healthy. You can tell I've given up all that stuff. <laughs> I'm free from that. And trying to turn the clock back, you know, with Lipitor that's gonna give us cholesterol values like when we were young. And, and it's so easy to get caught up with health that we lose sight of, well, what are we accomplishing? for God's glory and for God's kingdom before we die. Temeskin says, I'm not afraid to die because everyone's going to die. It doesn't matter when you die. What matters is what you accomplish before you die. And what was really important to Temeskin is that his friends got saved. And so, so Temeskin had a friend named Semenyu who was raised a Muslim in, in Ethiopia. Semenyu, like many there, got tuberculosis and at a young age, so it caused him to have a a total deformation of his spine called scoliosis. And Temeskin's friend Semenyu looked like the letter L. He was just bent over. And it was so painful for Semenyu that he couldn't sit in a chair for school. So he just went outside. He laid in the dirt. And, and classmates would come and bring him, bring him food. And Semenyu heard that maybe he could get some help in Addis Ababa in the capital. He was a couple of mile, mile, hundred miles away. And so one day, Semenya couldn't take it any longer, so he just went out on the road all alone and started to hitchhike. And he hitchhiked down to Addis Ababa, and truck drivers felt sorry for him, picked him up, and he made it to Addis Ababa where he begged on the streets. And somehow, Semenya met Rick Codes. I think Rick saw him. And Rick had compassion on him, and, and so he brought him along to live with him, and actually, Rick adopted him, adopted Semenya, along with four other Ethiopian kids. And then Rick's paid for and sent 
Well, Rick is supported by the Jewish uh, Joint Distribution. But anyway, so Rick sent some menu to uh, Ghana, where they have uh, expert surgeons for these kind of problems, for spine scoliosis. And they actually, when they did the operation, there was nothing they could do but just take his spine, couldn't connect it to anything, and just rest it on his hip. That's how it is with him. And then the Cohen family, as my attorney, brought Semenyu over to the U.S. and paid for him to attend a private school in Ohio. And I was actually able to go to his graduation ceremony. That was nice. And then Semenyu was out in California visiting Rick's mother in Newport Beach. And I went up to meet them. And Rick's mom told me, yep, I have five grandsons. They're all black. And my son's never been married. (laughs) Semenyu is one of them. So one day... Tomeskin brought Semenyo to me and to talk to him because he wanted Semenyo to find God. And so uh, I don't know why, but I opened the, to John chapter 9 about the blind man who was born blind, and the disciples asked about that. In John 9, verse 1, John 9, verse 1, it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And when I was reading that, Semenya stopped me, and he said, that's me. He said, that's me. That's what the kids asked me in school. They would come up to me and say, what did you do wrong that you were, that you were so crippled? And Semenya told me that he didn't know how to answer them. He didn't know how to answer them. And so when I read further that how the Lord answered it, it said in, in verse 3, John 9, verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. And when Semenu heard that, that no one had sinned, it was like a great burden off of him. It was like a door opened up, and Semenu wanted to become a follower of the Lord Jesus, and he prayed the sinner's prayer. Well, this was Timethkin, what doing what he could before he died, he, he brings Semenu along so that Semenu could be saved. And just like with how Joseph, this is what Temeskin did, this is how what Joseph, this is the great accomplishment of reconciliation in verse 22 when it says Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and then, okay. So now, we're kind of thinking about this, and we're thinking about in the previous chapters, there was a lot of drama, there was a lot of emotion going on. I mean, you have the life-threatening famine, and you got the brothers seeing that Joseph was the ruler over Egypt. A lot of drama. And the confession of the brothers, and Pharaoh giving the best land to Joseph's family, and then bringing the bringing of Jacob and the rest of the family into Egypt, and the settling of the family in their new home in Egypt. It's just a lot of drama, a lot of emotion going on there. Well, now, when we come to verse 22, 14 years have passed by. 14 years have have passed by since all the drama and the emotion. And that leaves the question, after all this time, was this really going to be a lasting reconciliation? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104 or sign up at reachisrael.com That's reachisrael.com What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 